All right, well, let's go to God's Word as we're in week number two in a series called The End Times, How the Story of Redemption Ends. If you haven't heard the news yet, Jesus is coming back. The first time he came to earth as a humble servant to die on the cross for our sins, and the second time he comes back, he's going to come back in his full glory as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's going to gather Christians to be with him forever. He's going to judge the world and rule over it. He's going to do away with the devil, with the curse of sin, death, hell, and the grave once and for all. And he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth where he will rule and reign with his people forever. And so you need to know, ready or not, it's going to happen one day. In this series, we're studying six major events that the Bible says will take place in the end times. Now, I introduced you to those events last week with the timeline. Let me remind you what they are. Event number one that's going to take place is the rapture. Event number two is something called the seven-year tribulation. Event number three is actually when Jesus comes back to earth. That's called the second coming. And then the millennium, the great white throne judgment, and the new heavens and new earth. And so this is what we're talking about in this series. If you were not here last week... You can go to our website, to our Facebook, or our YouTube, and get caught up on the intro to this series last week. What I want to talk to you about today is the very first event on this timeline. It's called the rapture. Now, when this event happens, you will know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that the end times events have officially begun. Now, what exactly is this thing called the rapture? Well, the Apostle Paul describes it this way. In his first letter to the Thessalonian church, let's go ahead and read it. First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, it says, brothers and sisters. Now understand that's talking to fellow Christians here. That's what he means by brothers and sisters. So to my fellow family members in Christ, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. What does he mean by that? Those who died in Christ, Christians who have died. That's what he's talking about. So we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words words. Now, I want to begin by noticing two words that I had underlined there in that text in verse 17, two words in English. They're caught up is those two words. That is actually only one word in the original Greek. It's the Greek word harpazo. Everybody say harpazo. And here's what that Greek word means. Snatched away, plucked out, or raptured. Scoffers of the Bible will make the argument, well, since the word rapture doesn't actually appear in the Bible, we shouldn't believe in such an event. 
Can I tell you, that is a really stupid argument. Because whether you want to call it rapture or the catching away or the snatching away, it really doesn't matter. Understand it is taught in the Bible. It's just a matter how you want to say harpazo in English. The reason we call it rapture is because a fourth century Latin version of the Bible called the Vulgate used the word rapture and it just kind of stuck. And so this event has been called the rapture ever since. What I want you to understand is Jesus is going to rapture. He's going to snatch away. He's going to pluck away his church out of this world in the end times. And Paul says there's an order to how this is going to happen. Let me, let me just kind of rehearse the order that we just read. First, the Lord will descend from heaven into the air in the clouds with a loud shout. A trumpet is going to sound. Then the dead in Christ will be bodily resurrected from the grave. After that, Christians who are alive at this time will be raptured up together with the resurrected Christians to meet Christ in the air, where we will all go on to be together with the Lord forever. Get this, in new, perfect, eternal bodies, free from the curse of sin. Ones that will no longer sin, age, feel pain, or ever die again. Although it's implied here in the text, Paul doesn't mention the new body specifically here in 1 Thessalonians, but he does in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about what's going to happen at the rapture. So let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Paul says this, Listen, I tell you a mystery. Now, anytime you see mystery in the New Testament, we're not talking about something that can't be known, that's going to be a mystery forever. We're talking about something that wasn't understood or known in Old Testament times, but now God has revealed it to us. So he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. What is he saying? Not all Christians are going to have to die. There's going to be a generation of Christians that will not experience death. So we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. What is that talking about? We're all going to get new resurrected body. Watch this, verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Say, what does that mean? Otherwise, all those in Christ, whether alive or deceased, will be given new bodies free from the curse of sin to live in forever at this event called the rapture. And notice what what Paul says. It's all going to happen in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Do you understand what that means? The, The twinkling of an eye is the time it takes for light to reflect off your eye. That's really fast. Okay, in case you didn't know, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. This is, that's how, how fast, how quick this rapture event is going to happen. Now, let me stop and answer an important question when we talk about things like this. You say, okay, pastor, but where are the dead in Christ right now? Well, they're with Jesus. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says to be absent in body is to be what? present with the Lord. Well, that leads to another question. Well, what kind of body do they have right now? Are you ready for the answer? I don't know. It's a mystery. I don't know if they're just spirits. I don't know if they have temporary bodies. What's important is they're with the Lord right now. Amen. So if you have loved ones in Christ, where are they? 
with the Lord. To be absent in body is present with the Lord. But at the rapture, their eternal spirit will get a new resurrected body free from the curse of sin to be housed in for all of eternity. Now watch this. Going back to the verse here. Talking about the redemption of our bodies. Paul says this. For the perishable, otherwise our old sinful body. Must, be, must clothe itself with the imperishable. We must get a new resurrected body, right? When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Otherwise, death has nothing on me. Take that. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Now, here comes the important part. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Listen, when the rapture happens, our redemption as Christians will be complete. You say, what do you mean? It was started the moment you gave your heart to Jesus. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you were spiritually resurrected on the inside. Your spirit has already been been redeemed. But at the rapture, your body will be redeemed from the curse of sin as well. Both our body and spirit will be completely redeemed from the curse of sin. So that's what's going to happen at the rapture for all Christians. Now, I want you to notice where the Apostle Paul got this idea about from the rapture. He tells us, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, we've already read it, but go back there. Where did Paul get this idea from? According to the Lord's word. I mean, Paul got it right from the horse's mouth, right? Jesus is the one that told his apostles about this. And it wasn't just Paul that he told about it. Do you understand? Jesus told all his disciples about it. He even told them about it before his death on the cross at the Last Supper. They didn't understand that's what he was talking about when he said it at first, but after his death and resurrection, they got it. They understood that's what that conversation was about. You say, how do you know that? Because they talk about it throughout the rest of the New Testament. What I want to do with the rest of our time together is work you through Jesus' words about the rapture from a very unlikely spot. In fact, you've, you've read this so many times in your Christian walk. It's a very famous passage of Scripture, and many of you never realize that it's referring to the rapture. At the Last Supper, Jesus says these famous words to his disciples. Let's read it. John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, you are crazy because I don't see anything about the rapture in that text. 
If you're going to see the rapture in this text, it's important that you have an understanding of Jewish wedding tradition. When we think in our American culture of someone getting married, we think of the big day only, like the big day. What's the date? What's the date on the calendar? That's when we're getting married. That's when we're tying the knot. What you, what you have to understand is getting married in Jewish culture was more of a process than it was an event. So let me lay out that process. Really had kind of three phases to it. Number one was the engagement. So what would happen is a young man and a young woman are going to get married. Sometimes it was arranged. Sometimes it was not. The important thing to know is the woman always had a choice in the matter in Jewish society. And so what, what happens is, is the father or the parents of the groom would come to the, the parents of the bride-to-be and say, hey, our son wants to marry your daughter. And what they would do is they would pay a down payment on that or a price uh, to say, hey, we are committed to this process. Okay, and so what would happen is they would pay that that price to the bride's family, and then what would happen is there would be uh, some vows that would be said, and although they had not consummated the marriage, although the marriage process was not complete, they were considered legally bound. In fact, so legally bound that if you decided you wanted out of this thing at this point, you had to get a certificate of divorce by Jewish law. So that was the engagement. That's all that's happened. There's been a down payment. There is a, a engagement. Uh, there's some vows that have been said. And then what would come next is the betrothal or the betrothal period of time. This would usually be about a year's period of time. And what would happen is the husband-to-be would go prepare a home to receive his new bride. And get this. Do you know where he would build his new home? He would build a room onto his father's house. And then after that, once the room was ready, once the room attached to his father's house where he would bring his bride, where he would raise his family would be, then what would happen is it would be time for the wedding feast. It would be time for the celebration. And what would happen is this, is the groom would go to where the bride is and get this, the groom would show up unannounced. And he would announce his arrival, get this, with a shout. And then they would blow a trumpet they would blow the shofar. He would then take his bride back to his father's house. They would consummate the marriage. In fact, if you say, what does that mean? They would sleep together because you weren't considered fully married until you were, until the marriage was consummated. And then there would be a seven-day celebration called the wedding banquet or the wedding feast. This is starting to click for some of you. You're starting to see it now in John chapter 14, aren't you? These six verses in John 14 are all about the rapture. You just never realized it. It's said in a different way than when Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but it is the same event. Think about it. All throughout Scripture, Jesus is referred to as the what? Bridegroom. And Christians, his church is referred to as his bride. And think about this. He has already paid the price for the church to be his bride. Yeah by the shedding of his innocent blood for sin. And although we are not physically with him yet, he is right now preparing a place for us in his father's house. And he says, there's lots of room, so everybody's invited. And one day he's going to come for his church. You ready for this? Unannounced. And he's going to do it with a loud shout. And the trumpet call of God. And when that happens, 
we will get our new bodies and the marriage process will be complete, consummated. Do you understand? Your new resurrected body is the consummation of your salvation. It's the completion of it. And we will celebrate our completed salvation with Jesus at his Father's house in heaven at what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be a party in heaven. You say, really? Let me take you. Let me show you. Here's how the Bible puts it in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 through 9. It says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Oh, give God glory. Why? For the wedding of the lamb has come. Who's the, who's the lamb? Jesus. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. We're talking about the church, right? Yes. Then the angel said, said to me, write this. He says, oh, people need to know this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Oh, you're going to be blessed if you're there. Yeah. And he added, these words are, these are true words of God. Otherwise, you can take this to the bank. This is going to happen. What I want to do with the rest of our time together this morning is go back to John 14. And I want to share with you four aspects of Jesus' coming for his church. Here's aspect number one. Let's call this the comfort of his coming. The comfort of his coming. Jesus begins this section of, of talk with the disciples here at the Last Supper by saying this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do you know why you say that to someone? <laughs> because their hearts are really troubled. Well, why are, why are the disciples, why is their heart in turmoil? Why are they troubled? Because of what Jesus just told them. He just dropped the bombshell on them. You say, what did he say? Go back to John chapter 13, verse 33. Look at this. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. He's leaving them. <laughs> they can't go with him. In their mind, they think they're with him forever from this point forward. He's leaving, and they can't go. And look at verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? I mean, Peter was always the one to ask the question. He was going to confront the elephant in the room, right? Where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now. But you will follow what? Later. He's leaving him. That's the bad news. But the good news is they will follow him later to where he is going. That's the promise. And we see the promise repeated in John 14. Once again, look at it. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And so what does Jesus do to confront their troubled hearts? He gives them a promise. Listen, guys, I'm going to be leaving you, but I'm going to come back for you. Listen, it's going to be a little hard without me in this world for a period of time, but rest assured, I'm coming back for you. In fact, no, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house, and you are eventually going to be with me in the future forever. That's the promise. Yeah. And can I just say what a great spiritual principle that we find here. The key to dealing with a troubled heart with the things that you deal with in this world is to focus on the promises of God. 
The key to peace is to replace the anxiety we feel in the present with the certainty of the future. And those, that certainty is always found in the promises of God. Amen? That's why your Bible is so important. That's why you need to study it. That's why you need to read it. Because you need to know the promises of God. Because any given day, you're going to need to stand on one of those promises. Yes. No matter how bad this life gets, God has a plan for his people. Whether it be through death or through the rapture, Jesus is going to come get those who belong to him. Amen. Now, I want you to remember something. Remember what I told you last week about the end times. We'll study this more in detail next week, but things on earth are going to get worse, not better, as we get closer to the return of Christ. More vile, more evil, more violent, more chaotic. Natural disasters are going to increase. Deception is going to increase. Wars and rumors of wars is going to increase. And it could leave the Christian's heart a little unsettling. Can I just say this? One of the keys to dealing with the troubled Christian heart about the world we live in is to remember the promise of the rapture. That Jesus is coming back for his church. Do you understand? This is why Paul wrote about the rapture to the Thessalonian church that we read earlier. Because they were a church that was being heavily persecuted for their faith. It seemed to them that the world around them was going to hell in a handbasket and they were afraid that they had missed the rapture. They were fearful that they were in the seven-year tribulation. And so to comfort them, that's a part of the reason why Paul wrote these letters to the Thessalonian church. Because as he says, look, the, the, you're okay. The rapture, the, you're not in the tribulation yet because the Antichrist hasn't been revealed yet. And this thing called the rapture hasn't happened. Because if it happened, you would know you'd be in your new body by now. So rest assured. Take comfort. Jesus is coming back for his church. And he's coming with a loud shot from heaven, with the trumpet call, and the dead are going to be raised in Christ. And after that, look at this, once again, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. What, what, is, the, what is the key to the promise? This is the promise. This is the promise. So what? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I know it's hard in this world. I know you're facing persecution. I know some of you have been martyred for your faith, but focus on the promise of the Lord coming for his church because all of his church will participate in that glorious day when the trumpet sounds. So do you understand? This is why understanding rapture is so important for your Christian life because it is our comfort and our hope as the church of Jesus Christ in this world. Now, back to John chapter 14. Aspect number two of Jesus' coming for his church. Let's call this the chronology of his coming. Now go back to verse two and verse three. Look what Jesus said. My father's house. Keep that in your mind. Has many rooms. If that were not so, what I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be, what's the last part? Where I am. Where I am. So otherwise, I am coming back at some point to get you and take you to where I am. Well, where's that? The Father's house. Well, where is the Father's house? Anybody know? Heaven. 
Here's what I need you to understand. When we're talking about the rapture, the rapture is not the second coming. At the second coming, Jesus comes all the way from heaven to earth. The second coming and the rapture are two different end time events. Let me help you understand the difference. And I, I have a list here of comparisons so that you can get this. And I could go scripture by scripture here, but just trust me on this. We'll probably talk about a lot of these as we go, but these are all from what the Bible teaches us. The rapture, in the rapture, Jesus comes for his church. At the second coming, Jesus comes with his church. At the rapture, get this, Jesus comes in the air, in the clouds. At the second coming, do you understand? Jesus comes all the way from heaven down to earth and puts his feet back on the Mount of Olives once again. Same place he left when he ascended into heaven. At the rapture, the focus is on Jesus and his church. At the second coming, the focus is on Israel and Jesus setting up his earthly kingdom. You have to understand the rapture is a sudden, signless event. You say, what, what do you mean by that? He's coming unannounced. There, there's nothing that you can say, oh, that's going to happen before the rapture occurs. The Bible gives us no signs. It just says you've got to be ready because you don't know the day nor the hour. That's not true with the second coming. It's a predictable Seinfeld event. Once you get into the events of the tribulation, we're going to study it next week. Now you have a time frame of knowing when Jesus is going to come back. With the rapture, only believers will see Jesus. In that event, nobody else is going to see Jesus but, but believers. At the second coming, the whole world is going to see Jesus. The entire planet, every eye is going to see him when he comes back. So that's the chronology of his coming. And I wanted you to understand there are two separate events, the rapture and the second coming. Now that leads to the third aspect about Jesus' coming for his church that I want you to see. Let's call this the controversy of his coming. Notice in verse 4, Jesus says, John 14, you know the way to the place where I am going. And, and you got to love Thomas too. Thomas is the other one. He's going to call out the elephant in the room. He's got to be sure. He's got to know the exact path, right? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? I need you to understand the controversy here for the disciples. You see, the Jews of Jesus's day believed that the Messiah was indeed coming. They believed that. But the Jews, including the disciples, believed that the Messiah was only coming once, not twice. Okay? All the prophets thought that too, but it was a mystery that nobody knew until Jesus showed up. Okay? The Jews did not realize that there would be a first and a second coming. So in their Jewish minds, the Messiah was coming once, and when he came, he was going to, at that time, set up his earthly kingdom. So here's what the Jews believed, the disciples of Jesus' day believed, how they believed it. In fact, they had an order of events as well, okay? And so here's what they believed. First, they expected a terrible period of time in the world before the Messiah came. You say, where did they get that idea? Same place we do, from the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament says there's going to be a terrible period of time before, before the Messiah comes. 
What's interesting about the Jews of Jesus' day is they actually believed that that had already happened because of Rome's occupation of the world and their land. Think about it. Rome took away their rights, forced them to do things they didn't want to do, taxed them heavily. See, the Jews were falsely under the impression that the Roman oppression was this terrible period of time that the Old Testament talked about. Well, they were wrong. Second, they believed that an Elisha-like prophet would come right before the arrival of the Messiah. This is why people were so excited about John the Baptist, because they believed him to be that prophet. And the truth was, he was that prophet, wasn't he? Third, they believed that the Messiah would then appear establish his kingdom and defeat all his enemies. Once again, from, the, from the, all the prophecies in the Old Testament. Fourth, they believed the Messiah would gather Jews that had been scattered all over the world and he would bring them back to Israel. And fifth, they believed the Messiah would make Jerusalem a place of world dominance under his rule and there would be everlasting peace from his rule. The disciples at the Last Supper thought that Jesus was about to set up his earthly kingdom. And to add fuel to their fire, they've had a heck of a week. Because you remember what happened what, earlier in the week, what happened? Jesus came riding on a what on Palm Sunday? A donkey. You remember that? The Old Testament predicted that the Messiah would come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. They knew that. And all Jerusalem, for the very first time, was going, we believe this guy is the Messiah. And the disciples were like, oh, we're going to go to the temple. He's going to set up his earthly kingdom. And then Jesus spends the rest of the week going to the temple. And the disciples are like, today is the day. And you know what Jesus does? He lays it on the religious leaders. He calls them out. And they're like, uh, you just wait and see what, my, what Jesus is going to do next. They're expecting him to set up his earthly kingdom. But day after day, it's not happening. And now they're at the Last Supper. And understand, never did they think the plan of Jesus involved the cross. Never did they think Jesus would be leaving them or that there would be two different comings. What Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper here would have been very controversial to them. Well, can I just say this? Things have not changed in 2,000 years when it comes to the coming of Christ. You have to understand the coming of Jesus for his church is still a controversial topic. And I'm not talking about in the world within the church itself. Here's the controversy that you'll find in the church world today, especially when it comes to this thing called the rapture. When does the rapture happen? There are three views you'll find inside the church. One is called pre-trib, one is called mid-trib, and one is called post-trib. And you say, I don't even understand what that means. Let me put the timeline up again. What that means is, does the rapture happen pre-trib, before the tribulation, mid-trib, right in the middle of the tribulation, or post-trib, at the end of the tribulation. Now, there's a lot of debate about this, and if you believe one way or another, more power to you. It's, it's not going to separate us in our faith, amen? amen? But I'm just telling you, I'm taking the first bus. If you want to take bus two or three, that's your, your choosing. <laughs> I believe the Bible is very clear. I'm 99.99999999% sure that the Bible is very clear. It's pre-trib. 
let me help you understand why I would say that. Let me give you some biblical evidence for a preacher of rapture. And there, there's, about, there's about 20 of these I could have went through, but I'm going to spare you 20, okay? I'm going to give you kind of my top couple here. Number one, evidence for a pre-trib rapture, Jewish wedding tradition. What did I just teach you earlier? Right? The bridegroom is coming unannounced, so we got to be ready. Remember the parable, Matthew 25, with the foolish and the wise virgins, the bridesmaids, about being ready for the groom's arrival? That parable is about the rapture. You understand that? And when, when when Jesus comes unannounced, what's going to happen? A trumpet is going to a shout, and then the trumpet is going to blow, and then there's going to be a seven-day feast in Jewish tradition. How many years is the tribulation? It's going to be a seven-year celebration in heaven during the seven-year tribulation. So Jewish wedding tradition is one evidence. The way that unfolds, that, that, that system, that, the way that plays out is undeniable. Okay, here's number two. Jesus has promised to the church. Did Jesus actually say anything about it? Well, he did in the book of Revelation. Look at this, chapter 3, verse 10 through 11. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. Now, here's the tr- truth. We go through lots of hours of trial in our life. Am I right? There are always hours of trials. In fact, you're going to have multiple hours of trials this week. But he's not talking about just any hour of trial. Watch this. Keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the world. I am coming soon. Jesus says, I'm going to spare you for that. The next evidence I would give you is this for a preacher of rapture, the confirmation of the Apostle Paul. Paul said this, and once again, why did he write Thessalonians? They were afraid that they missed his coming. They were afraid they missed the rapture. And, and he says, no, once again, the Antichrist hasn't come and the rapture hasn't happened. But look what Paul says here. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, that wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Let me give you another one, the record of the church in the book of Revelation. What's interesting is you do a study of the book of Revelation, and it's actually confusing to people. It shouldn't be confusing. When you know the rest of the Bible about end times, all the Revelation things fall right in place. It's actually very simple. But here's what you need to know. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, it speaks of the church of Jesus Christ being on earth. In Revelations chapter 4 and 5, it speaks of the church being in heaven. In Revelations chapter 6 through 17, the church is not mentioned at all being on earth during the tribulation. Do you know why? Because where are they? They're at the Father's house having a party. And then in Revelation chapter 18 and 19, what we find is the church is in heaven getting ready to return with Christ. <coughs> Let me give you another one here. The, impressive, the precedent set by God in the Old Testament. This will not be the first time that somebody was raptured before God poured out his judgment. Remember the story of Noah and the ark? Do you remember when um, right before uh, uh, the war got so wicked, God had to destroy the earth? Remember that? 
And did you know there was a rapture event that happened before that? You say, where? Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. Watch this. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Although Enoch lived a total of 365 years, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God what? Snatched him out. Raptured him. There was a rapture that happened before the flood. And some people would say, well, but Pastor, what about Noah? You know, Noah had to go through the flood. And if Noah had to go through the flood, then we Christians might have to go through the tribulation. Noah didn't go through the flood. He was floating above the wrath waters on top of the flood. Like the church will be in heaven above it. Amen? Why? Because God saved him through a wooden boat and God saved us through a wooden cross. Amen? That's the picture. That's the analogy there. And then there's Sodom and Gomorrah. Although there wasn't an actual rapture that happened here. Do you remember God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Those cities are so wicked. I'm going to pour out my wrath on those cities. But there was somebody who had faith in that city. Somebody who was a child of God and his name was Lot. And what did God do? He rescued Lot out of that city before he rained down the fire and brimstone. Are you still with me? Yes. Thank you, Mr. Gary. One more. Let's call this the imminent return of Jesus. Once we get into the tribulation, there's a time frame. It just is. The Bible teaches that. Once you see the signs in the tribulation, the, the, the things that happen in the trib, we'll talk about it next week, you're going to be able to, okay, this is when Jesus is going to come back. There is no sign when it comes to the rapture. And look what Paul says. In fact, Jesus said this too, but I'm going to read this out of uh, what Paul said because he's really quoting Jesus. Watch this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Okay, here's the deal. The thief comes what? Unannounced when you didn't expect it. I mean, none of you are going to go home tonight and say, okay, better something to watch because the thief is coming at 1210. I'll be ready for him. It's not how the thief operates. What I want you to understand is the reason that you've got to be ready is because you don't know when the rapture is going to happen. And you want to be ready for the rapture. Do you know why? Because you don't want to be here for the seven-year tribulation. You don't want to be here for that. Once again, you want to take the second bus? Go for it. You want to take the third bus? My biggest fear is we're going to be on the second bus and you're going to be like, Pastor, you were wrong. <laughs> the good news is we'll all be with Jesus, right? But I'm telling you, I believe the, the Bible very clearly teaches a pre-trib rapture. Now, let's go back to John one more thing. Let's talk about the consequence of his coming for his church. John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why is that? Because Jesus was the only one able to pay the price for our salvation, right? He was the only one that was able to afford the cost for us to be his bride, to be in his Father's house for all of eternity. <coughs> and what did he pay the price with? His what? Innocent, shed 
blood, he did that so that through faith in him, we could become his bride. Let me just show you this, and we studied it in Ephesians, and it's one of those famous passages uh, talking about, you heard it uh, read at weddings with husbands and wives, and <coughs> but it's not just about husbands and wives, it's about Christ and the church. Paul's comparing the two, and look what he says, husbands, love your wife, now watch this, just as Christ loved the church, and what? Gave himself up for her, he paid the price to do what? To make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless before a holy God. Here's the consequence of his coming for his church. If that's true, if this rapture thing is true, that means there are going to be a lot of people in the world that are not going to go because they don't know Jesus. Do you understand the rapture is a selective event? It's reserved for family only. It's reserved for the bride of Jesus only. So that means a lot of people who don't know Jesus are going to be left behind when the rapture happens. They're going to left, be left behind to go through the tribulation. It's going to be a terrible time on earth. And, and make no mistake, there are going to people who are going to get saved in the tribulation. But, oh, you don't want to have to go through that period of time. Wait till, wait till we study it in the next two weeks. We're going, to, we're going to go over the next two weeks, maybe even three weeks. It's an unbelievable period of time on this earth that's going to happen. Here's what you need to know. Right now, Jesus is still sending out invitations to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He's still telling people, listen, I paid the price already for you, and I am sending you an invitation. Would you like to be with me for all of eternity? But you have to accept the invitation by faith. That's how you reserve your spot at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so would you with me right now, every head bowed and every eye closed, would you do that? The most important thing that you can be when it comes to the rapture, is ready. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus. You have never accepted him into your life as your Lord and Savior. Listen, that is the most important decision that you could ever make. So if you're here this morning, every head bowed and every eye closed, and you have never given your heart to the Lord, you have never put your faith in him for your salvation, no one looking around. I'm not going to ask you to stand or come forward, but I do want to pray with you right where you are. Would you say, Pastor, just raise your hand and put it right back down. Say, that's me, Pastor. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Going to wait for a moment. Anybody that needs Jesus in this place this morning? I trust that you all know the Lord. And that's a wonderful thing. Because he is your hope. He is your comfort. And he's not going to leave you as orphans. So can we just take a moment? Would you just stand with me? Just stand. Would you just, as a moment of just saying thank you to Jesus, can we just raise our hands to the Lord and we just say thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for me, that you came and paid the price so that I could be with you in your Father's house for all eternity. Lord, we just give you praise. We give you glory, God. We give you honor. 
We're so thankful, Lord, that you came to this earth to die on the cross to prepare a way for us to be with you in your Father's house for all of eternity. And Lord, we look forward to that day when you are coming for us one way or another, whether it be through death or whether it be through the rapture, Lord. We are going to be with you, not because we were good, but because you were good because you were righteous and because of your unbelievable love to save us from the penalty of our sin. Lord, thank you for paying the price. Thank you for your shed blood. Lord, we give you glory and we give you praise. And Lord, we can't wait to see you face to face. In the name of Jesus, we all said together, amen, amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come up. If you need prayer for anything in your life, or maybe you gave your heart to the Lord, want to give your heart to the Lord, come, we'll pray with you. But if you need prayer, we'll be up here. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll start the tribulation next week.